Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a very snowy suburb of New York City and a very, what I can only assume is a snowy part of Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How are you, Andrew? I can imagine the the game tonight left you a bit cold, or rather the finish to the game left you cold as well. Uh, what a... Ugh. Yeah, uh, this is an emergency podcast, my friend. Um, I have only really seconds ago just finished watching this game on DVR. We told the people that we would be here to do this late Wednesday night, and... Uh, I was really regretting that at about 91 minutes into this game that uh, that, that was a promise we had made. <laughs> but here we are. Um, and you made a huge effort caught in the snow on the West Side Highway. Um, you battled the elements to get home, to watch the game, to be here tonight. So I think the people should appreciate your efforts. Yeah, my commute home is usually, it's about 35 to 40 minutes. Uh, tonight it was two hours. The snow, I don't know, you know, wherever you're listening to us, I know we have obviously thousands of, of listeners from outside of the Northeast. Um, it is awful here. <laughs> this is like a truly, truly bad storm. One of the worst that we've, I think I was reading that we've had here in a couple of years. And um, man, so I take the West Side Highway to get home. And so I'm going back northbound because I live north of the city. And I only came to find out I didn't really notice it in real time as I was driving. But come to think of it now, I didn't see any cars in, going southbound on the West Side Highway. And then I got home and I went on online and just like checked the news. And like the top story was that there was a 27 car pileup that shut down the southbound lanes of the West Side Highway. I mean, this is like there were cars just. You know, I'd be driving along. Nobody's going more than like 10, 15 miles an hour. And then a car just gone. He's gone. Slides off the highway. You know, you come upon a car that's just like in the middle of the highway turned mm. facing you in just like that has skidded out completely. It is. I mean, I don't know when people are listening to this, but if you're listening to it, like in the immediate aftermath of us recording this and putting it out and you're in the Northeast, be careful, man. It is it is really, really bad out right now so um it is I'm yeah, not back, fun I, i'm not just fun. i'm just back from a walk i, I, I did some sledding um oh, that's so, that's adorable yeah <laughs> but it's, it's it's incredibly windy uh blizzard-like conditions and um there are people listening right now from like iceland and norway who are like will you just get to the football we're used to this all the time well you know what we're not all right this is a big deal we're coping with it let us cope in the way that we want to. You know, we love weather on this podcast. We talk about weather all the time. So come on, let us have our moment. Yeah. All right, let's get into the game. So like I said, I you watched this earlier in real time. Yeah. I just finished it just like a few minutes ago. Uh, so my emotions are still raw. I have not read anything about it. So whatever you get from me tonight is going to be unfiltered, completely untainted by any other opinion or nice. tweet or anything. This is nice. And that's usually the case, but you know how, you know how that can be. Sometimes you read something sure. and it kind of like reinforces an idea. Um, so I'll go first here with my immediate thoughts. Uh, my, my biggest thing to come out of this game, I'm guessing that you feel the same, but I don't know. Liverpool to me, watching them, even without Van Dyke, without Matip, Gomez, whatever, uh, they are still legit. They're the best to me. They're the best team in the league. They they terrify me every time they come forward and attack. Uh, they're still 
pretty solid in defense. They've had they have players emerging like Curtis Jones, who you know a year ago we thought nothing of. Now I'm watching him tonight, and I'm thinking that guy right there has star potential. He can be the next big thing for this club. He he scared me tonight in a way that a lot of those other guys did. To me, Liverpool, I come away from this thinking, yep, they're the best team in the league. Now, as an addendum to that, I come away from this thinking as well. But Tottenham are right there. I really, I, I really think that this is a legit race, and I really think that these two teams, um, you know, things will change, players will get hurt, form, and all that. But I, I can see these two battling it out uh, together the rest of the way. I think Tottenham are close. I still, I give Liverpool the edge. I think they're better, but Tottenham tonight showed me that they belong in that caliber at least this season. They do. I I would broadly concur with most of the things you said. I think Spurs were excellent in the way that they play tonight. I thought they were very good. I thought they created the better of the chances, but on the totality of the play, Liverpool were more dominant. And and I think the game the game played out exactly how we would have expected it might. And Spurs sat tremendously deep most, for most of the game and were absolutely deadly on the counter and as Jurgen Klopp noted in in his post-match notes it's so difficult against a team like Spurs because when you give the ball away they are so incisive now the problem was that they they didn't really have an awful lot of the ball but equally Liverpool's chances were not of the same quality as Spurs was and if Harry Kane had scored that header if Bergwijn hadn't hit the post you know we'd probably be talking about something different but but it didn't happen and in that sense um spurs will always like it's it's interesting we got a tweet from a listener who said it's funny how you guys were just talking about a 1-1 scenario where tottenham leave a team in the game and that's exactly what happened tonight they left liverpool in it um and that is just the style of play that they execute. It's the way Mourinho sets his teams up and Liverpool scored. But like I said, Spurs had some quality chances in the game. It was a very good game. And it's such a cliche to talk about, oh, con- contrasting styles, clash of styles here tonight. But it really was. Uh, it, it was the old order. Um, a lot of football that you would have seen being very successful maybe 15, 20 years ago, certainly before that on the side of Mourinho and then the more modern pressing um, front-footed positive football of Liverpool but um, but when it comes down to it Spurs were so incisive it's fair to say they could have won the game too but it wasn't to be yeah and look I, I mean the idea of well Tottenham allowed Liverpool to remain in this game I don't know if I if I entirely feel that way I feel like both no, 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 no. allowed each other no, no, I, I'm not saying allowed, but I, but if you are going to play uh, reactionary football, if your play is going to be on the break and you're going to allow the other team the territory and the space to dominate possession, to dominate territory, if you're going to do that, um, then you have to take your chances. Well, yeah, that's true. And, you know, obviously Tottenham did not do that. And you're right on a different, I mean, somebody, somebody's got to talk to old Stevie B about his finishing ability. I mean, what they say? He hasn't scored in 24 games. I like him as a player. You know, he, he does the things that Mourinho I, wants him to do. Are you going to uh, kill? Are you going to you know, kill him? Are you going to kill him though, Andrew, for hitting the butt of the post? 
at that, you know, well, coming in so, one on one like that, I mean, a little bit to the left, a little bit of an angle. I, I mean, he opened his body up. Well, I don't but, know how but much he more did, he but done. He, I know, but it, but he did it, tw- but it happened twice. It's like he hit the post, and a yeah, few and minutes dr- before that, it was it was a very similar attempt that he, and he pushed wide. It. Yeah, um, you know, so you had that. You had Kane missing what was essentially a free header. Yeah. on a corner kick. You know, and Harry Harry Kane is very good with his head. Uh, you had the other one, and this is a more difficult one. But you know, Kane pressing intercepts. Allison's ball tries to kind of lob one over him with Allison kind of slowly getting back into position. Um, you know, so they, they certainly had their chances and it's funny because Liverpool certainly had their chances too. So many of them, as they talked about on the broadcast were directed right at Hugo Lloris. It, it, kind of, it was, it almost felt to me for Liverpool where like the two goals that they scored didn't feel to me like two of their better opportunities to score. You know, you had kind of, a, a fluke first goal where you know deflection off Sissoko Curtis Jones he, Curtis Jones makes the run and he does you know he puts Liverpool in position to get to that goal but it's a deflection off Sissoko and then Salah takes the shot and it deflects off Aldevar like a double deflection basically mm. to the first goal and then the second one is is a corner kick which you know oftentimes those are benign this time Eric Dyer fell down uh, Firmino rose up got it and that's your ball game right there and it's yeah, Liverpool had other chances too, and um, th- some of them. I think you know Sadio Mane. He's he's a menace. He probably scares me. I, I talk about how scary Liverpool are. He's he's the face of that to me. Yeah, um, he spun Aurier you know, Salah as well. But, yeah, he did. You're talking about when the uh, the one where he hit the crossbar. Yeah, and and, and I think I can't be sure because he hit it so hard, and it did. It was given for a corner, so it must come off someone. Um, but I, I think, think Hugo Lloris deflected it onto the crossbar. Well, that's a heck of a save if that's the case. Yeah, Lloris was very good tonight. I mean, like, like I said, a lot of the attempts were at him, uh, but he yeah. made a couple of good saves. Firmino had a good chance in the first half that uh, Lloris kind of parried wide. Uh, he was very good. He was very I good think, in this I, one. I think if Liverpool were to reassess the, the or look back at the performance, a couple of the really good chances they had, they would have liked to have put you Ugo Lloris full stretch more than I think he was only full stretch like three times in the game and um considering that the shots they got off they would have liked to have, have done more and tested him more but but he was excellent and that was a fine save fine save from from Mane if indeed he get a he got a touch to put it onto the crossbar yeah there were a couple moments for me especially in the first half where I was getting a little bit of like Tottenham of last year and a little bit the year before PTSD flashbacks where, you know, we talked a little bit earlier this week on the podcast about how Mourinho has done a good job of coming in to Spurs and sort of rejuvenating a few careers specifically in defense that we thought were on the, on the downside significantly. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of those that we've talked about is Serge Aurier who um, not only has he rebounded, but he is, you know, Matt Doherty was supposed to be Tottenham, one of Tottenham's big summer signings. and. Aurier has kind of pushed him aside, at least for the time being. Uh, I think but, I think COVID they, had a lot did, to do with that. Yeah, that that is certainly that's certainly possible. But Aurier had kind of taken his spot even before that happened. But boy, in the first half tonight, there were a couple PTSD moments where um, Aurier was just like sloppy in possession, in dangerous yeah. spots on the field, giving it away in dangerous spots. And I was like, oh no, not you, not this, not this Aurier. Because he's been so good this season, I was afraid it was going to lead to something. It never, it didn't actually. Um, but just watching that, I was like, "Oh, yeah. uh-oh. I think, I think to be fair to him, he got pinned in quite a lot in that game. 
um, in uh, sorry, in, in in the first half, Liverpool were, were were dominant down that side, and so Aurier couldn't do the things he likes to do, which is kind of get up the field and get on the ball. And um, with Ben Davis playing in the other in the other uh, fullback position, Spurs were kind of they had that safety valve. So if if Aurier was to get forward, there was always going to be a matchup of three v three at the back um, for Spurs, which was. I think wise for Mourinho entering entering Anfield to do that, but Aurier was was restricted in what he could do. But um, Spurs were under tremendous pressure for a lot of that first half. Um, I should say though that Spurs scoring so soon after Liverpool went ahead was very important in the game because if Liverpool were allowed to seize the initi- initiative further, there would have been no way back. I don't think there would have been a way back anyway. And the the finish from Son. 11 goals now on the season for him. He's just so deadly. And again, in, in a Liverpool thread I was in, there was like the reaction, damn it. You know, the last person you want in those 1v1 situations is Hyun Min San. And I wonder if he'd been on the end of the Bergwijn chances. Again, we're looking at maybe a different game. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. I was thinking of you specifically when Son scored, uh, when that goal happened. Not because of the goal itself, but because... The way that VAR played out and, and try to remove yourself, you know, li- mm. Liverpool fan, uh, a goal against you, try to remove your, your your emotion from that and just look strictly at how I was thinking that, you know, even though it went against Liverpool, that use of VAR is is to me felt like what J.J. Devaney has been talking about when he when he says the way that it should be used. It was very quick. It was not molecular much to Jurgen Klopp's dismay, he was furious. He, I think he right. wanted molecular. He was convinced Sun was offside. But when you just looked at it and they put the lines down, they didn't do that like second line that comes in with the three-dimensional red dotted line. Like they just did a straight up yeah. line and like they didn't zoom in any further. And it looked close and they were like, all right, that was it. It was like 10 seconds. Normally that, that would have been like a five-minute delay. So I, I watched that. I was like, even though it went against his team, I wonder if there's a part of JJ that was like, yes, this is how it can be used. Oh, I, I'd moved on really quickly. I was like, I can't tell whether half his toe is offside. He's on for me. That's a goal. By the way, we got caught out. Um, our our young defender, uh, Williams, was caught out a little bit on that goal. It was if, if Liverpool had done any bit of defensive training over the week, knowing what Spurs would do, they would have known to be to be aware of that very scenario. And they just got caught cold. Um, so I was I was honestly fine with it, Andrew. Like I'm going to stick to this. I'm not interested in the in the molecular level of it. Whether right. it goes for my team or not, I I can't be bothered with it. And I was already moving on. And I look in my thread on on Twitter just quickly, and there's two two listeners sending them themselves pixelated pictures, screen grabs of their computers and their TV screens, trying to debate whether he's offside or not. That's not a world I want to be in anymore. It's it's I, I, it's no fun. It's it's terrible. Yeah. Right. We, we've talked about how that's common ground for us. I don't think either of us want molecular. And along those and, and lines... Equally, I just want to say, sorry to cut across you, I just want to say as well that, um, yes, there was a little bump on Eric Dyer to allow Firmino to spin away, but there, Eric Dyer went over like a sack of spuds. And, and to me, if I'm Jose Mourinho, and he didn't seem to mention it, mention it in his post-match laments, he didn't seem to make uh, a comment on this. I-, I would be angry with Eric Dyer if I'm Mourinho, not to stand up and 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 to just go over and hope VAR sees it. Um, I thought that was right. poor from him. 
and VAR looked at that and that only took about 15 seconds as well. And they, like, I didn't even realize that had gone to the check until I heard the second roar from, from the cop end. Um, and, and speaking of Eric Dyer and speaking of VAR, uh, we almost had another one of those awkward, is it where on the arm does a handball begin or end uh. in the first half? Uh, when he was, uh, who was it? He was defending Salah on a ball in the box. But uh, I guess they didn't. They didn't even really look at that one. So well, um, well, here's 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 uh, Dale Johnson of ESPN, who is the only guy to go to on these rule issues. Um, he goes, uh, "This was his halftime, uh, as he said, all your first half rage answered. Uh, why wasn't a dire handball? Well, the ball hit the green zone, which isn't a handball now. And then he updated it. The initial angle I saw made it look more green zone than it was on the." than it was on the possible Dyer handball, but it's still not a penalty because the Liverpool player lifts Dyer's arm up to the ball. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And again, those of you listening, do not send me a screen crap of, <laughs> of arms being lifted. I have no interest in that. Um, yeah. So I suppose the next thing really that that's kind of come to light is the post-match uh, Mourinho is now post-mortem. Um, so I have not heard, like I said, I haven't seen no. anything. So, so this so is he, all new to me, whatever you're about to say. So I'll give you the broad stroke. So he had a moan about, he told uh, Jurgen Klopp right at the end, you'll notice there was a kind of reaction between the two, but it was, it was nothing yeah. major. But um, he told Jurgen Klopp immediately that the best team lost. <laughs> okay, which I is, this guy. I mean, I'm so in, JJ. Which is is I mean, I guess it's him, and 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 I can I can argue both ways. I I don't believe they were the better team on the preponderance of play, but maybe they had the better chances. I, I you know it depends how you split it. But I thought it was interesting what he said at the end. We were playing to win. We were not playing to get a point. Mourinho said a point would have been quite a fair result, but we played to win and had the biggest chances to win it. The moment of the occasions and the reaction they had, they were in trouble. The game was always under control. I feel it was a very undeserved result, but that's football. At halftime, we move a little bit to pieces, but overall, the game was always under control, and I am very pleased with the performance. Um, that's interesting he, he, to me. Um, well, well, yeah, go with that then, and I'll so keep my it's comment. It, it's interesting to hear him say that. I Part of me disagrees. I'll, I'll be totally blunt. I, I feel like 1-1... Or two-two. I feel like a draw. If we're going to talk about a fair result, to me that probably would have been a fair result. I don't know if Tottenham winning necessarily mm-hmm. would have been. I think Liverpool then maybe could have had gripes of their own about that. So to me, I'd say a draw. I I do agree though with Mourinho in that after halftime, it felt like they did tonight what he wanted them to do over the weekend against Crystal Palace. I mean, if you I, think about the bulk of Tottenham's best chances, they occurred from like that. 50th to 65th minute like that sort of window right. there when clearly and you know and they did go for it i mean who, who did he t- he took off a defender i'm trying to remember who um i thought he took off a defender was it ben davies that came off for lucas mora to come on um no that wrong. oh no, no I, 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 i'll get that i'll get that in a second now. for you it was uh lucas mora in for lo celso oh okay all right i mean yeah both attack minded, but Lucas maybe a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but then he brings so. in he, he took out Bergwijn for Reguilon as well. So, right, but but that's but true. that's not but that that's was late. Not, 
Yeah, I know, but my focus on that is interesting about that moment. I I actually thought Spurs had a 10 minute, maybe I'm being generous with 10 minutes, let's say five minutes. No, I'll give them 10. 10 minutes after halftime where they were, what you said, on the front foot and they went for it. Mm. But after when they didn't convert those chances, um, they did retreat a little bit. I remember remember that drive Harry Kane, um, Harry Kane had where he just um, he just dro- he drove it over the crossbar. Actually, he had the first moment where he caught Allison out. Uh, Allison's kick was poor. He tried to ch- uh, dink it in over him. It didn't work. And then he had a drive over the crossbar. That that's when I thought Spurs pushed on a bit and pressed, but they did pull back into that kind of defensive shell again, Andrew. Um, and and there was a, a very notable moment about I'd say it was like 80, 80 yeah, I'd say about 80 minutes into the game, and <laughs> they're defending for their lives. They're they're on the edge of the 18 as as they always seem to be in in that shape. And Mourinho runs down the sideline to kind of encourage them, you know, like to to really, really get behind him. Uh, get behind them and, and give them this this motivation. And it was right around that time that Graham Lasso said this, which which I always, <laughs> I kind of tend to agree with him a little bit. Um, players have to buy into this style of play because it's not fun. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I agree to an extent, but they definitely have bought in. I mean, yeah. they are doing the hard work and, you know, they're getting men behind the ball and they are so organized and, and they have bought in. Um, now, whether it's sustainable to ask a team to play like this in almost every game for long periods, I don't know. Um, certainly well, when you... Uh, I'm going to you... cut you off for one sec because what you're talking about is so interesting. And that and that Graham Lasso comment definitely caused me to perk up as well. I thought that, that was interesting insight from a former player. Um so like what's interesting about that to me, you're saying, you know, to get them to buy in every game. I don't know. I think we're maybe seeing why Mourinho can't last at a club for more than three, four years, uh, because I think you can get a buy in for a season, certainly. And yeah. I think to, like I would expect Tottenham to to do this and be cool with it as long as they keep winning and stay in the title race, you know, maybe go far in a, in a cup like they'll they'll continue to buy in. But yeah. like season on season on season, Ooh. I think is where you might start to see frustration with certain guys. You know, like I, I wonder, like Lacelso, for example, like he's an attack-minded midfielder, and he's being asked to play more of like Tangi and Dombele's role, who who was not in the lineup tonight. Like, yeah, you know, is Lacelso going to want to do that this year and next year and the following year? Like, yeah, that's where you might start to see some guys who who get frustrated. Like Hoybier can do it. Like it's it's clearly a role that he's he loves suited it. for. Like I said, in Dombele, like I, those guys are suited for. It, but some of your more attack-minded, creative-minded midfielders, like Son and Kane, are probably loving this because like it's allowing them to get up and down. They, uh, it, it's probably fun for them. But like the Lacelsos of the world or the Deli Alleys of the world are, are they going to love this for a couple seasons? I don't know. I guess I guess we'll only time will tell. But Mourinho's track record would tend to make you think maybe not. Yeah, and again, the crucial point you made is as as long as they continue to win, then the buy-in will remain. Uh, when they don't, players will start wondering, well, you know, should we not be playing a better brand of football? Should we not be playing more expansive football? Everyone else is. But but for right now, it's certainly working for the most part. Um, one, uh, one other thing, 
Uh, Mourinho said, uh, I am not the one to speak to my colleagues about their behavior on the touchline. Um, Mourinho was is upset. Is he with, talking about Klopp? Yeah, he was, he was upset about Klopp's behavior on the sideline. Um, he felt like they were... Um, they were putting pressure. The, the changes, he talks about his substitutions. The changes were to find counterattack situations, which we did immediately. But with the Celso's yellow card and the incredible pressure these guys on the touchline put on the officials, I was afraid of the yellow card and I had to take him off. And um, By the way, one last thing in what he said, where he says the game was always under control. I feel it was a very under, un, undeserved result, but that's football. At halftime, we had to move a little pieces, but overall, the game was always under control. You see, that is just a perception, Mourinho. That is the way Mourinho views the game. Defending well, not giving up chances, creating chances on the break. That's his idea of control. You know, it's not having the ball for long periods or, or being, you know, that's, there was, there was a funny, <laughs> there was a funny tweet in the first half, Andrew, from uh, Dan Kilpatrick, who covers Spurs. And, you know, Spurs were struggling to get out of their own, you know, get out of their own box or, or do anything. And um, uh, Dan uh, tweets, Spurs progressing their way up the pitch in a series of tackles. And it, it was so true. They, they won one tackle, the ball broke. Liverpool got it back again, and then they tackled again, and the ball went a bit further up the field, you know. So, um but look, you know that is that is who they are under Mourinho, and I, I think um, I think you. I'm open to both points of view. Um, that that's that's kind of why I said a draw would have felt fair to yeah. me because I I, I I I'm delighted obviously with the win and delighted for Bobby Firmino and the and the way the game finished. But I thought it was a fascinating game, and and you can't look at a game like that and look at the chances Spurs had, and even as a Liverpool supporter, go. You know, oh well, we, you know, we did. I, I can feel we deserve to win the game, but so can Spurs, right? And that kind of is what brings me back to the initial point that I made. My initial reaction of Liverpool are the better team, but Tottenham are right there. Uh, one thing that you just were talking about, Mourinho's comments about Klopp on the touchline, uh, mm. that is interesting to me as well because I will, um, for a moment, put my Tottenham underpants back on, and I can tell you that. In watching this game, and, and this is not necessarily new, but maybe even more so tonight, <laughs> as a Spurs fan, JJ, I can't tell you how many times I like actually watching by myself verbally out loud shouted at the screen when Klopp would come on yelling and just stick it. Uh, I would actually yell at the screen, Oh, would you shut up? I'm not like he, he, his antics drove me crazy watching that guy. So I, I'm, Obviously, Mourinho <laughs> felt that as well. I mean, he's just—he's nonstop. Ugh, you, yeah, you can see it, right? Like you can see how an opposing fan would see him and be like, "Oh, enough, man." Um, I actually think Klopp's always caught a frenzied figure on the sideline, but I actually think, and and I'm not—I'm certainly not the first person to voice this. I've heard it on several other podcasts. Um, I actually think he's—he's he's more irritated by referees he's more irritated by the opposition he's more irritated by situations he's more irritated by tackles certainly his irritations has spilled over into his post-match comments his battles with sir jeff of shreves and sir 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 kelly of bt shire um those those battles have happened as well i don't think he's enjoying this season at all um 
and and yeah, no, I can I can understand that point of view. I obviously don't feel it. By the way, we or, had a we had a mess we had a message a, a DM that made me laugh that I got to read to you. And right after the game, this was an eager beaver named Ben. This message is for Andrew's eyes only. Andrew, don't let JJ saddle up on his high horse and trample all over you on the pod. We absolutely deserve something from that game. So don't let anyone convince you different. Also, Mourinho was absolutely right. Referees, along with every pundit and media outlet, have given that. Wait, he's made a Ben's made a hashtag, by the way. The hashtag Klops drop far too much leeway. Keep the faith and come on, you Spurs. That a so, boy, Ben. You know, it's funny ben. though. Like talking ben about with that, a rousing call to arms. <laughs> talking about that though, I was kind of thinking as this game ended. You know, so we started this podcast in April of 2014, and. Oui. Uh, right. That, that's about right. That's and so, correct. yeah. And so Dude. I know, I know. So I was thinking about that and I was like watching this game tonight and thinking of it in like the broader context of, uh, you and me and the caught offside cup, Tottenham, Liverpool. And I was just thinking about like, you know, I wonder, I feel like I unintentionally made a deal with the devil in 2014 because remember when i when the podcast started tim sherwood was spurs was tottenham's manager pochettino was not in yet and i feel like so like tottenham then right like spurs were not yet close to what they are what they became a couple years after and i feel like this i made this deal of just like you know you're gonna get to host a podcast talking about this sport that you love and not only that the team that you love is about to enter one of their greatest periods in history. You're going to go to a Champions League final. Like you're going to be in title races. You're going to be playing great football. You're going to fall in love with this team in a way that you never even knew possible. The only catch is you are going to be completely and utterly dominated by one team and one team only. I won't tell you who, but just one team. And the catch on top of that is it's going to happen to be the team that your co-host supports. And here we yeah. are six years later and it's like like that was the team we had to meet in the champions league final this season it feels like we are steamrolling towards a title race between these two teams like sit when we started this podcast this was not on the radar tottenham and liverpool were kind of like yeah they're top six sides but they were like middling they were sort of like you know they were competing for the same airspace though right like Europa league or champions league getting in top sneaking into top four maybe like the fact that we've both both risen in this way, but like it's you guys just have this hold. What what is it? One win in the last fifteen for Tottenham against Liverpool. Like this is utter domination in the score in, mm-hmm. in the scoreline. A lot of these games have been bonkers close. You know the Alderweireld own goal, the game tonight, even the Champions League final. Like Sissoko holds out his arm to communicate to a defender, and the and, and the ball is played off of him for a handball. Just All right, like, we're going to remitigate every game. Come on. Oh, but I'm just saying, like these, these, there's been a razor's edge feel to it, but it's always you guys, and it's, mm. it's just uh, it's good job. I'm, I haven't been. It's it's good job. I'm never an ass about these things. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, can I address one thing before? Because I've got some before we move off this game. Have you anything else you want to talk about this game? Because there's a few notes I want to go through. Uh, off of this game. No, one thing I'll say: props to uh, to you, your people. Um, Anfield sounded good; like there were only two thousand yes. people in there, but like that, it, it sounded and felt 
you know, a little bit more like what we're accustomed to. Obviously, you know, the roar when Firmino scored paled in comparison to what it would be, but you know, that, that was kind of, that was nice to just get like the real authentic soundtrack to a certain extent well, we of, of what it should I'm, be. I mean, sorry to cut across you, but not everybody got that Andrew, because apparently, or from what I was hearing, uh, one of two things happened. Uh, 1500 Spurs fans snuck into the ground or NBC decided to augment the sound that was the natural sound that was already there with, Oh, when the Spurs come watching in, oh, when the Spurs watching in. Well, I'm NBC like, made a point of saying that they were not playing any of their own crowd noise. They, they even had like the graphic in the corner that said, uh, Am I going insane then? Who was well, playing? Well, there are away way? fans. Away Another fans were. I thought that there were I thought that there were still like they were keeping the percentages if there were 2000 fans whatever that percentage of away fans then would would still be allotted. Oh, I don't Really? I thought so. Oh, I don't Well, that wouldn't make very much safety sense allowing fans moving from one tier area into another tiered area in terms of COVID. Huh. I could be I'm not sure. I'm not sure about any of this. <laughs> Um, but no, in terms but of anyway, the game itself, uh, no, that's, that's probably about it for me. I've, uh, I've got one issue. So, um, this was an email that came in after the game from Jay Stewart. Disappointment it read. Hmm. I was looking forward to a fireside commentary with JJ on hot mic. Alas, I was disappointed. Congrats on your win, JJ. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I forgot to ask what, how did it go? So, so I decided in the end I was I was in the kitchen and it was about an hour to kick off and I was about to set this thing up and I thought, do I really want to be, you know, because you're answering questions from some people, you're replying to comments, you're doing all this stuff. I'm like, I want to watch the match. I just want to watch the match. And I'm doing a podcast late night so everyone can get my views then. Why am I doing this now? Also, you weren't there. It would have been just me on my own cursing. Like I was in, you know, because it's a big game, I get wound up. Like it would have been zero fun for anybody, and also as well, lots of people were at work. That's one thing the feedback gave me. Um, lots of people communicated, said, "Oh, I'd love to be on, but uh, uh, you know, I'd love to to log in and 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 watch the game with you, but I'm going to be at work." So I'm like, "Let's leave it for another time when everyone can do this." Because I I would have been no seriously, I would have killed the hot mic platform forever. It would never have recovered. And, you know, unfortunately, I think I just saw that Tottenham and Liverpool's next game was also scheduled for a weekday. Oh, come uh, on. So I think it, it may be a similar situation. We, we really should do it for like a, a U.S. game. Maybe we should do it for that. Yeah, that would be good. Um, can you allow me to do some news and notes, Andrew? Of course. Um, some notes from today. I wish we had dramatic mu- uh, news music, but we don't. So here we go. West Brom, Sack, Slavin, Bilic. And oh yeah, and I saw the, the Allardyce bat signal went up. Oh, it did. It absolutely did. Um, and it must have been up a little bit beforehand because he seemed awfully ready to to agree terms and and to uh, to make this happen straight after picking up a point at Manchester City. Very very strange. Um, a great tweet from friend of the pod Daniel Story. So Daniel Story <laughs> tweeted this out. You know. 
Who would you list are the recyclable British managers that always get jobs at clubs, Andrew? Who oh are they? God. Give me a few well, names. Okay, well, obviously Allardyce is one. Um, yes. I would put, uh, I guess, Warnock. I would include yes. in there. Correct. Um, He's on the list. Definitely Alan Pardew. Uh, would, correct. Would be on there. Uh, I guess now David Moyes is probably among that company. Probably. So Daniel, okay. but Daniel basically tweets, it's a, it's an evergreen tweet. Were Pardew, Hughes, Redknapp, Allardyce, Bruce or Warnock appointed by a Premier League club this year? So from 2005 on to 2020, because Sam Allardyce has now made 2020 happen, only one year, 2011, was there not one of those one, two, three, four, five, six managers not appointed at a Premier League club? Wait, in 2011, none of them were employed? Uh, no, but they weren't given a job, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Oh, they, so like, they already had one. They Possibly. Okay. Possibly. But the point being is that these some of these managers, Bruce and Allardyce in particular, have bemoaned the lack of opportunities for young British managers. Well, of course, there's no opportunities for young British managers if the old British managers keep taking the jobs. Yeah, they're they're very much like their own super best friends. Yeah, and um, they are recession proof. That's what we've learned. Now, in fairness to Allardyce, Allardyce does have a record. Um, Allardyce has kept Blackburn up in 2008, 2009. He took them from 19th to 15th. Sunderland in 15, 16 from 19th to 17th. 2016, 2017, he took Palace from 17th to 13th. And from 13th to 8th was Everton in 17-18. So at four clubs, maybe Everton doesn't really count. Um, I guess they were in a relegation battle in 17-18. It didn't feel like it. But in the other three clubs, he certainly has the track record of keeping these these teams afloat. And that is why he's in at West Brom. Yeah. Look, I mean, ultimately, it ended spectacularly. But he didn't get the England job for nothing, right? No. he He got it to be a... A safe pair of hands. A, I suppose it eventually had to come round to him or Harry Redknapp, and Harry Redknapp was kind of out of the reckoning at that point. And England were also desperate. Um, things had not worked out with either the foreign managers that they've ha- that they had. They hadn't re- particularly worked out with Roy Hodgson, um, and they wanted to try a different way, I guess. Arsenal, Andrew, they drew with Southampton. Gabriel was sent off. So that's it's um so that's now three times in their last five games they've been red carded. That's seven red cards in total for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal in the Premier League. That is that is huge in discipline. <laughs> and yeah, and I and I saw that he what did he get two yellows in a four minute span. I mean, how? I I don't know what to say. Um. So, and but, it must have it must have stung a little bit also that it was Theo Walcott who got the goal against them, and I believe yeah. didn't he also he and he drew the second yellow he on did. Gabriel as well. Yeah. So, but honestly, Andrew, the vibe after the game was Southampton are a team in good form. They press a lot. Um, Arsenal getting a draw with them, albeit um, at home, isn't a terrible result. And Aubameyang scored his first game in 11 matches. So I'm clutching at straws here, but... Is this your narrative or is this what you're hearing? Because I got to well, say well, that I that heard, is... 
that is such a that that speaks so deeply to the mentality of where that club is at right now. If they're at home and they're just happy to have gotten out of there with a draw against Southampton. And I don't care. I know Southampton are flying right now. They're in great form and they're playing really well. But that is just not the Arsenal mentality that we've been accustomed to. Well, that was a little bit of the vibe I was getting from some quarters. Um, Leeds United ran riot against Newcastle. 5-2 with three in the last 15 minutes. And Jack Harrison with a possible goal of the season contender. Um, Leicester City losing 2-0 to Everton. Um, they would have gone top for a little while today had they won it, but instead it's Everton who get a second good result on the bounce versus top four competition. Two shots on target, Andrew, for a team with Vardy, Barnes, Madison, and Tielemans in it. Not great. No. Um, Not West, Ham, West Ham drew with Crystal Palace in a game where Sebastian Haller scored a stunning bicycle kick. And Benteke scores and also gets sent off. So what a night for Christian Benteke. Um, one of our listeners tweeted in, Tope Conquero, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but whatever, is Haller the, wor- the best worst player in the league? Which is a great question. When mm. he shows his skill, it's tremendous, but there haven't been too many looks at it. West Ham seem to collect players like that. Andy Carroll comes to mind as well. The best worst player. I know exactly what he means. Um, I I think he you can't put him in that category yet because he had such a good run when he was in Germany. He was such a top class player that maybe he just needs to hit form and get used to the Moyes style. What a goal though! It was. I'm trying, it was to, think of, I'm trying to think of other guys that fit that kind of description. Would like a uh, could that be like a Shane Long? Yes, yes. Does one job really, really well uh, in terms of he's so quick, he's so fast, he he works so hard for the team, but he's a striker that doesn't score, <laughs> which is kind right. of a problem. Yeah, that's a good one. Give us more of your best worst players because I'm blanking a little bit now. Um, there used to be loads of those guys in the league. I feel like they're a dying breed now. Everyone's got to to grind out a performance these days. Um, they're still out there now people will help yeah on Monday Andrew uh, Chelsea lost out to a late uh, Neto winner for Wolves consigning them to back to back defeats Uh, Chelsea started this one well Semedo was in the rinse cycle by our own Christian Pulisic who was back in the lineup after returning from a hamstring strain the left side was Chelsea's attacking fulcrum so what did General Frank Lampard do he He decided to move Christian he moved Pulisic to the right and the wind goes out of Chelsea's attack. Um, I don't understand why he did that. A lot of Chelsea fans were making the rationale. He was trying to get Werner more involved in the game, but like at what cost? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, surely you just ride the hot hand and and, and just keep attacking. And Yeah, um, I wonder if it's just like, if that's a paralysis by analysis or just like overthinking a situation. Yeah, but it's it also maybe too many cooks are spoiling the broth, Andrew. You know, Havertz, Mount, Pulisic, Werner, all in there, and not all of them a hundred percent sure what they're supposed to be doing by the by the looks of it. Kai Havertz continues to look like a German exchange student who just doesn't fit in in the school in Utah where he's been sent, and he just spends his day in his room listening to Marilyn Manson. 
Um, that's this, such a specific example. Is this like, do you, do you know someone? <laughs> no, I, that just came from my fetid mind. But like Havertz is one of these guys where he just looks lost out there. Um, Chelsea have failed to beat every team they faced this season who sit above 12th in the Premier League. That's not great. And that's the round, no. Andrew. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. Busy, busy midweek uh, in the Premier League. My goodness. Um, so I suppose this was therapeutic in some ways for me. I'm sure it was enjoyable for you. Congratulations, your team. Uh, you guys are good. Like I said, even with your injuries, you guys are still, you have every reason, every reason to think that you can repeat. I think it's going to be a fun title race. Uh, but uh, right now, I would consider you guys the favorites. I think that was a, an, a big win, an important win for Liverpool. I, I still we'll think see, uh, we'll see where they go from there. I think there's still twists to come, my friend. Yeah, this is they, like they talked about it during the game, how, you know, the last three title winners have had, what, 198 and 99 points. We are not headed for that. This season is going to be different. Um, this is going to be like, like Graham Lasso said, this could be somebody in the low 80s, low to mid 80s that, that find a way to do this. These teams are not perfect. They're flawed. And and in some ways that will make uh, for sort of an unpredictable and, and fun ride throughout the rest of the uh, the rest of the season. So it should be good. Uh, I'm obviously not thrilled with how it went tonight, but uh, it's a long season. There's still a lot of lot of soccer to be played. There is indeed, my friend. Yep. So that about wraps it up. Um, we'll see how uh, things look in the morning. I'm, I'm worried about getting out there. I haven't shoveled anything yet. Uh, it's going to be, uh, this is some, this is some real, there's a lot happening out there right now. Some thick, heavy snow. I enjoy good shoveling, Andrew. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to really, you know, get into it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, what are you shoveling? You live in the city. Yeah. There's sidewalks. Uh, there's the front of our apartment building, which I help out with. Uh, so you have like an eight foot by eight foot patch that you're going to have to to shovel out and you've got the nerve to talk to me. I've got a driveway. All right. I've got snow plows oh, that come by and pack in. I live, I live in Connecticut. Ooh. I, first of all, I don't. That is not true. Liar. Uh, congrats again on your victory tonight. We will be back next week in our uh, usually scheduled time, probably Tuesday. Uh, we'll put out another podcast where we'll look back on the weekend. Uh, fun times. Fun times as always. JJ to you. I say. Check it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, brother. <laughs>